0: This is Holding Court with Patrick
1: McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe.
0: All right, everyone, Patrick McEnroe here, Holding Court, and uh, I am very happy to welcome in a longtime friend of mine, one of the great writers of some of the greatest songs of all time. He and his wife, (laughs) Marilyn Bergman, the one and only Alan Bergman, joining me from his house in california how are you young man i'm pretty good <laughs> young i don't know about <laughs> but <laughs> well
2: i'm I, 94 you know
0: I, I know you're 94 and <laughs> you've been you've been writing songs for what probably about yeah, 70 a long years yeah over Just 70 years
2: oh, oh yeah no i started writing when i was a kid 15 16 you know years old
0: and <laughs> you and your wife have won numerous Oscars, have written songs in the 60s through till, yeah. through recently uh, that have received... Oh, yeah, we're still writing. And, and who hasn't sung your songs? I mean, Streisand, Sinatra, Johnny Mercer, even someone... Named Melissa Errico. That's my wife. Oh,
2: absolutely. And beautifully, may I add.
0: And I had the pleasure of meeting you through her, uh, Alan, and, and Marilyn, about 20-some years ago because uh, you <laughs> were great right. collaborators with Michelle Legrand, the great French composer yeah. who unfortunately passed away over a year ago. And my wife... Uh, started his show on Broadway, and anyway, then they be, we became friends with you, which has been a, a treat for me. But what I really uh, want to hear from you, because I know we could, you could talk about music all day. Is <laughs> I, I want to. Well, hear- I must. I just want <laughs> inter-
2: to interrupt you for a minute. I met Michelle Legrand uh, on a tennis court. Gene Kelly and uh, we were playing in a doubles match. And he said, I want to introduce you to a, a, a great composer, I think you and Malin, and he could write wonderful songs together.
0: And, and it was on a
2: tennis court. And
0: lo and behold, <laughs> you did it. Papa, Can You Hear Me? Of course, a great song from Yentl, which Streisand yeah. made so famous, Windmills of Your Mind. Now, I actually uh, yeah. I got on the court, uh, Alan, with Michelle Legrand too, when he was doing the record with Melissa, at his uh-huh. uh, at his place in Spain, and, and let me tell you something. He was a pretty good tennis player, and you he had yeah a, he was, and he had a lot of flair, which of course was not unusual, knowing his personality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now you yeah he, you you I was able to play with out in California because you've 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 always been interested in tennis, and yeah. I want to hear the story, Alan. As a young kid, you grew up uh, in Brooklyn in the
2: 30s and 40s right.
0: of how you got into tennis.
2: Well, when I I was a pretty good ping pong player, and uh, I said to my father, "I'd like to learn how to play tennis." I was about twelve years old, and uh, so we went to the um, to Prospect Park, uh, the big park in Brooklyn. They had two courts there; they were clay courts, and they were <laughs> not very well taken care of. There were weeds growing up. And they had the wooden rackets that you could rent, uh, and the the gut on the racket looked like shoelaces. It was probably it was probably, I,
0: probably frayed, right? Like all frayed. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: So uh, my father said, "I don't know." We got on the court, and it was, it was the court was terrible, and the balls were old, and so, so he said, well, "I don't think this will work." Right. I said, "I know what I'm going to do." He said, "What?" I said, "Well." In in a month or so, the uh, the national singles were being played, uh, as they were every September in uh, Forest Hills, at the Forest Hills Country yeah, Club. Which,
0: which is right, which has now become the the U.S. Open, but in those days it was called yeah, the U.S. National Championship. It was for amateurs, right? It was at the West Side Tennis Club in West
2: Greece. Side Tennis Club, right? right. So I took, uh, <laughs> I said, I, maybe I could learn. I get a job as a ball boy. So I took a bus and a train and, and got out to Long Island. Where wait, you had to, wait
0: so, so you got, you, you, uh, by yourself, you got on the bus, the train, yeah. et cetera, to go from yeah, well, Brooklyn was, to Queens.
2: The, exactly. And when I got there, I asked the people where, who's the person who hires the ball boys? And they directed me to this man and he, uh, He said to me, what's your name? And I said, Alan Bergman. He said, go home. Just like that. Wow. And I said, what do you mean? I said, do you mean because I'm Jewish you won't hire me? And he looked at me, didn't know what to do because he was confronted with that. And I said, look, uh, if you don't hire me, we're going to go to the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. That was a big paper. That was a newspaper uh, back then. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I said, I'll tell him that you won't hire me. Either. He said, oh, Let me think about it. Come back tomorrow. I said, I can't do that. I can't afford it. Hmm. Uh, I, I I sold uh, Coca-Cola bottles to, to get enough coffee just to <laughs> and, make just uh, to
0: just to make it to the club that day.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he kicked dirt. I can still see his face, and he said, Okay. And that was 1938. So you were, yeah, was, you were probably 12 going years old? On 12,
0: I was 12 years old. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> were you, were, when he said, uh, when you told him your name, and you obviously yeah. knew right away that was because you were Jewish. Yeah. yeah. I mean, had, was that something that had happened in, in other parts of life? Or did that, oh, does it, yeah. So well, it didn't surprise
2: you know, it was, No, it didn't surprise me. I, I, I knew it had happened before. I don't remember when. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of anti-Semitism in those days, you know. And uh, But anyway, I, I did it for two years. Right. Uh, first year, you know, uh, Don Budge won. Wow. who's the, Who, by the way, was the only other
0: player other than Rod Laver as a man to win the Grand Slam. That's right. Yeah. That's
2: right. He, and he was a lovely man. I got to know him later. We got to be friends because he loved music. He used to... Uh, he played drums and he used to sit in with Tommy Dorsey when he got a chance. You're kidding me? Really? No, he played. Yeah, was, he, he loved music. Was he? Was he a decent drummer?
0: I don't know. <laughs> a uh. Better tennis, but it's like my brother. Right?
2: But my, Tommy Dorsey was very, very strict, so he must have been pretty
0: good. Yeah, Tommy Dorsey uh-huh. ran a tight ship, as, as from what I can oh yeah. I can tell. Yeah, so so that started. So you were able through being a ball kid at the U.S. Championships to get. Were you able to get a racket, or how did that lead? Into well, here's playing? what
2: happened with that. They found that some of the young players, and they were mostly college players. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those days, they they heard from the other kids that I was a wonderful ping-pong player, and they invited me in to play ping-pong with them. And uh, and then they would, uh, I can't remember his name, but he was a player from Northwestern, that I remember. I uh, said, that you play tennis? I said, no, I don't have a racket or anything, but I'd love to learn. He said, okay, let's go. And, you know, all the courts were grass courts. That's right.
0: Back in those and, days. And
2: yeah. uh, so he gave me a racket and uh, taught me how to play. <laughs> That's wow. how I learned.
0: And then you you, you just kept playing, because I remember playing with you about 20-some years ago out in California. Yeah, we played. And you you basically told me you would play, like, every day.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I did in those days, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I'm like, i played every day, every day, yeah. We had a... A group of about twelve of fourteen guys who who played, uh, you know, switched off, and we had a doubles game Monday through Friday. The court that we used, uh, the people had grandchildren that didn't want us to be there on the weekend. So you can so only we, so you we, only
0: played during the week.
2: During the week, yeah. yeah.
0: Unbelievable. <laughs> and how do you yeah. is it? It was, was tennis just something that because you were good at ping pong and it was just something to do? Or did you find over the years as obviously you became such a successful songwriter that it was, did, that, that it was just a way to get some exercise or did you find something else yeah. about it that
1: intrigued no, you?
2: I love, I love tennis and the camaraderie, the, the fellows that I was playing with wonderful people and we had a great time. I still see them, you know, they. uh, and we take walks together now. <laughs>
0: you're, you're still but, going. Uh, w- 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 listen, when I come back to California, okay, when this whole crazy uh, pandemic passes, yeah. I'm getting you back
2: out on that court.
1: Uh, okay? <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> I'll try. Anyway, and- uh, I, I just love the game. And then, I, you know, I went to uh, um, Forest Hills every year. Uh, and then... Uh, you know, then it became Flushing Meadow.
0: Right, and then I know. I mean, you moved to California back, you know, way back when to, to pursue yeah. your your music career. So I know you 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 went to college at UC,
2: uh, or, didn't you go to UCLA? well, Which I
1: had graduate school, graduate but I school. went to
2: I went to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and played on the team the year after Vic faces was the number one player at Carolina. Wow, you played on the team at
0: uh, first? No, but he,
2: no, uh, no, he had left.
0: He had left, but you played on the team at Carolina, on the Tennessee team. Yeah. Oh, so you yeah. were a pretty darn good player then, playing well... the college team. <laughs> but, but Marilyn, your wife, never got really into tennis, huh? Well, she
2: started to play a little bit, and then she said, nah, it's not for me. <laughs>
0: And, and 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 when you when you look back at uh, some of the great players that you like to watch, you know, obviously you saw the Don Budge and so on at Forest Hills. Who who did you who did you like seeing uh, over the years to play?
2: Oh uh, yes, all the well, you know, there were a lot of players in those days from uh, Australia. Right. M.O.
0: M.O. and, and uh, Lou Hode. And, what, did you ever see Lou and, Hode
2: play? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A wonderful player. New uh, John Newcomb.
0: Right. Uh, the Rocket, Rod you know, Lever. It, yeah.
2: And, yeah. And I got a chance to play with some of them. You know, there was a a, a kind of a circuit of celebrity tennis players
0: yeah, it used to be pretty popular back like in the 70s the 60s in, the, in yeah. the 70s and 80s yes yeah, so i remember that vegas they used to have a big t- a pro celebrity it was alan king i yeah, believe I, used to host that tournament in, in in las vegas
2: yes alan king and uh, i played that uh, with bob lutz uh, twice twice uh, in two years we played together and we won- Got to the finals in one year.
0: He was one of the great doubles players. Maybe he played with Stan Smith. Smith and Lutz were one of the That's great right. All-Americans. And, lov-
2: and a lovely man. Yeah. Right. Lovely man. Now, but I got a chance. There was one <laughs> one tournament, I'll tell you about it, we were in Texas.
1: Right. Playing.
2: And uh, Don Budge was there. Uh, he wasn't playing, but he was there. Uh, it was, uh, Rod Leather had a camp or some. Place down there
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, where you taught and uh, the way you there were a lot of a lot of celebrities Wayne Rogers and uh, people like that a lot of great singers uh, mostly too. actors yeah. actors yeah yeah, mo- yeah. and uh, you picked how you got your partner is they put the pros names uh, on tennis balls in a bag you Reached in and picked the bag, and I said to him, Marilyn, "I said, oh, if I get Pancho Gonzalez, it'll be <laughs> such a thrill." Right. So I pick out the ball, and it's Pancho Gonzalez. Oh my goodness! And, wow. And, and so we played, and then, uh, I, as we started to warm up, I said, "I'm, a, I'm a writer, not an actor. I won't play to the audience, mm-hmm. and I won't try to beat the pro down the line." And he looked at me, and uh, and Don Budget said, "Be careful. He's very mean."
0: <laughs> right. He had a, yeah. He had a personality, didn't he, old Pancho? Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So now we get on the court and we start playing, and Wayne Rogers was playing with Gardner Molloy. Sure. Uh, oh, who was a terrific doubles player, and uh, and uh, Pancho Gonzalez says to me. After the first, after he served, uh, Wayne Rogers served to me once. That's all he had to do, he served to me once. And he said, Garden, you can go down the line. Garden to Meloya. Garden is over too far to his right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I said, You sure? He said, <laughs> Yeah.
1: Right.
2: So uh, Wayne Rogers served to my four and I go down the line, and we win the point. And, God- <laughs> and, and the second time, he was the third time he was gonna serve to me, Poncho does do the same thing. He's over too far. Right. And uh, we, well to make a lot sure. Uh, we won the tournament and and uh and Poncho won the singles tournament too. And he was playing against uh Ammo was there, Frank Sedgman. Oh wow. Uh, uh Fred Starley. Yeah. They were I remember them. They were all playing in this tournament. It's a, uh, g- it's a
0: great thing about uh, tennis and music and, uh, you know, the, the connection that's existed for, over the years of uh, great musicians, great writers like you in the tennis world. So that's always been something. Uh, it's been awesome to be part of the tennis community. Now, you, it's funny you mentioned Gardner Merloy because he – you sort of remind me of him a little bit, tall, good-looking dude. And <laughs> Gardner Merloy, I remember going down to Miami for the tournament over the years every year. And uh, Gardner was still playing competitive tennis into his 80s, I think even into his 90s. And he was really, he he reminds me of you tall, always in great shape, great personality, smart as a whip. And he continued to play tennis, I'm going to say, until his early to mid 90s. So, Alan, we're going to get you back out there when I get back out (laughs) to California. Yeah,
2: he used to teach that, man, didn't he? In a hotel.
0: Yeah, And he taught at a place called, um, I remember going over to Fisher Island, which is sort of kind of an exclusive island. You take a little a ferry to get over there and i used uh-huh. i used to go over there and practice sometimes with andre agassi cuz he used to rent a place there and jim curry or the you know uh-huh. the, the top guys they'd always get to stay over there in the fancy place and you know the regular run of the mill guys like me you know we'd have to stay in oh, uh, in downtown crazy. miami somewhere but you know we'd get to go over there and practice so i remember going over there and seeing gardenwell he'd be dressed to the nines he'd be looking great mid 80s <laughs> and he'd be out there practicing every single day and just like you continuing to write your songs when i first called you and asked you about would you would you tell me that story on my podcast about uh how you got into tennis because it, it gave me the chills listening to you tell that story and you said and you said to me patrick i'm still writing i'm still writing songs and uh, yeah. it is amazing, and I know you wrote one for my wife recently that she put on a new a new song that she worked on right at the end yeah. of, end of Michelle's life as well. Yeah, it was the last song, the yeah. last
2: song that Michelle wrote. Yeah, Ab- but,
0: absolutely amazing. I mean, w- when you think about your career and all the songs that you've written, all the classics, all the ones, I mean, w- <laughs> w- which give me give me a couple that stand out. I mean, I know that's got to be hard. But well, give me a couple. I mean, well, you know, how do you keep the well, music dude, playing? Uh, the windmills of your mind, Papa. Can yeah. you hear me? You know, what, what would it be?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, all those. That's true. How do you how to keep the music playing? Yeah. Uh,
0: the what way are you doing he, the rest was, of your the life? The way he
2: makes me feel. Yeah, that, that's from Yento. Yeah. yeah.
0: How and, in, uh, how in the world do you come up with all these songs? <laughs> I mean, tell me a little <laughs> about the. Tell me a little bit about the process that you and Marilyn went through uh, over the well, years. Well, I, I had
2: a great uh, mentor, one of the great lyricists of all time, Johnny Mercer, and he always told me that you have to, you should write to the melody, and uh, we feel, uh, still feel that the words are on the tips of those notes and we have to find them. Mm-hmm. That was so great about writing with Michelle because he wrote all those melodies first, Windmills and What Are You Doing the Rest of Your Life.
0: And then he would send it to you, um, he would send you the melody, and then you would, yeah. you would create the
2: lyrics, right? Exactly. And in some cases, though, you know, there were reasons for the songs. For instance, Windmills was written for a, a movie, The Thomas Crown Affair. Right. Where where the uh, hero, uh, the Steve McQueen character, was flying a glider, mm-hmm. and it was he was very anxious, very mm-hmm. anxious because he was he had just masterminded the robbery of a bank, and it was successful. He didn't participate; he just planned it. It was very successful, and he was flying this glider. He did was very anxious because he didn't know what he was going to do with the money. Right. One, so, one, one, so of the, the, one of the great scenes ever in any movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, the, and the director, Norman Jewison, a wonderful director, said to us, I want you to write me a song that underlines the anxiety the character was feeling.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you know, anxiety is a circular emotion when you try to go to sleep and you can't turn your brain off and it's that that's anxiety so all the images in that song are circular images round like a circle in a spiral like a wheel within a wheel never ending or beginning on an ever spinning wheel it's all circular
0: like a snowbird on a mountain like a carnival balloon right exactly I got, exactly. I got, I got all your songs, Alan, in my head for the rest of my life.
2: <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I still remember. I was there at Flushing Meadow when you played. Uh, uh,
0: Don't say Jimmy uh, Connors.
2: Jimmy Connors. You, you yeah, know this I was you, there,
0: Alan. This was going <laughs> so well this podcast until you had to bring that up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't mean to. But I, I was there, and I was. And we were rooting for you. you
0: <laughs> so, you know, my, you know, what's funny is I I've run into people over the years. You know, after I I blew that huge lead against Jimmy Connors, it was in the first round. It was a night match, and then that was when he was he was thirty nine and went on that great run to get to the semifinals. Yeah. But uh, you know how many people have come up to me over the years, like you just said, Alan, and said, you know, we were there and we were rooting for you. Yeah. I'm like, give me a brick. Nobody in that stadium. Even me, I think even my girlfriend at the time, who wasn't Melissa, by the way, who is now my wife. I'm not even sure she was rooting for me by the end of that match.
2: No, I believe we were rooting for you. Well, you're be, you're, you know, you're a
0: good man, and you want you know what? I, I uh, obviously I have a place in my heart for you and Marilyn, and for and for Michelle Legrand, and what all you guys have done for my wife Melissa and her singing. But I have to tell you, the song the song that I listened to. That always gets me, and maybe even more so in times like these that we're all going through, is that the, the, the Stryzan classic, The Way We Were.
1: Memories, like the corners of my mind, misty water watercolour-
0: So can you just yeah. tell me a little bit, because that uh, always puts me in this frame of mind to just think about my my own life, the the world around us. So, can you just give me a little bit of insight sure. into how that song came to be?
2: Absolutely. Uh, we uh, we had won you know the Academy Award a couple of times, and uh, and she uh, uh, she wanted us to write it. The producer. And the director called us and said, "We'd like you to write this." Was and it was Marvin Hammer who wrote the music, right? Which his second movie
1: mm-hmm. that he was
2: uh, scoring. So <laughs> we wrote the song and we went to play it for Barbara and uh, Sidney Pollack, the director,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, we uh, it was played it for her at her house. And they 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 loved it. She said that's wonderful. Uh, and Sidney Pollock was a wonderful director, and the trip became one of our closest friends. Uh, he said perfect. That's what we want. And as we were leaving them, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we get through the, her house and go out the door. I said to I, I said to Marvin let's write a couple of more songs called The Way We Were. And he said, what, they love this song. I said, yeah, but she's not gonna record it for four, two or two, three months, because they were still shooting the picture. Right. Uh, we could write you know, a couple of more songs called The Way We Were and see what happened. He said, okay. So he wrote us another melody, mm-hmm. and we wrote another song called The Way We Were. Uh, different lyric except the same title. Mm -hmm. But it was a wonderful title. And uh, (laughs) we played it for Barbara and Sydney. They said, oh, we love it. So I said, and they do this. We said the only way we're going to find out if it works is if you play the songs against the images where where the song is going to be used and uh if it works, the the, the images in the are, film. You
0: mean the images in the film? Yeah, right. the images
2: are, It right. makes the fourth entity: the lyrics, mm-hmm. the image, and the music. Right. They make another entity, and you can tell whether it works or not. Right. And we laid... Barbara made a little with a piano with Marvin playing a piano. She made two versions: one the way we were that everybody knows, mm-hmm. and uh, the first one, and the second one and the second one didn't work at all huh. because it was a little too cerebral uh, lyric. didn't work now. So, But they loved it. Barbara recorded it later and called it The Way We Weren't.
0: <laughs> so it's so she, so it it's did on actually, one of her albums. Oh, I'm going to look it's that like, up. I'm actually, I'm yeah, gonna, it's on as, one of her
2: albums. Uh, I'm the uh, Way
0: We Weren't. Okay, I'm looking
2: that it's, up. It's good, yeah. Uh, I don't remember which album it's in, but uh, you can find that out. uh But the way, uh, yeah, uh, that were, really worked. And her manager knew uh, Marty Ehrlichman, the wonderful fella. He heard it the, the the first time he played it for Barbara and, and Sydney, and he said, It's going to be the number one song July the way. And it was. It became number one. He he
0: knew. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, man. Alan, that is just some some great (laughs) stuff. I so appreciate you uh, doing this with me. I told you we'd keep it to 25 minutes. And listen, you give Marilyn a big hug for us in the mcenroe household. And when this whole uh, pandemic passes, which we all hope will be soon, I'll be getting on a plane, and I'll be getting you out on the tennis courts out in California. (laughs)
2: Okay, give my of to Melissa and your children.
0: All my best, Alan. Take care of yourself.
1: Okay. Great you Alan Take Bergman, care. everyone. Take care.
0: Take care. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.